You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, somebody. How about this side? Praise the Lord, somebody. Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's a privilege to be with all of you in the house of the Lord. And we're thankful for what God is doing in your life. Yesterday, as you have heard, was a great day. Our ladies had a wonderful time. Today is our small groups expo. So after this service, make your way across the parking lot. And there are small group booths set up. You can connect connect with leaders. Uh, We very much believe that this is a important, vital function of our church. We, just like in the New Testament, just like in the New Testament, we we fulfill two, we, we have two basic church structures. And they are, of course, when we all come together in corporate worship, we're all together. That happens on Sundays. happens on Sundays for us. It happened on Sundays for the New Testament church. And this, this structure is ideally suited for the vertical. It's ideally suited for us to worship God. When you come together and we have the, all the music and all the team and uh, everything is designed for you to go vertical with your, your uh, adoration, your praise, your worship. That's the first structure of the church. But we, we cannot fulfill our redemptive purpose by only loving God. We, we do that best on corporate worship, Sunday worship. Uh, but we also must have the horizontal in our redemptive purpose, just like there is an, a, a horizontal on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is the second structure of the New Testament church, which is house to house, or we call it small groups. Both structures are necessary. One of them is best suited to love God, and one of them is best suited to love each other. You can come to church and not get to know anybody because it's best suited for this. You see what I'm saying? You can just kind of stay at a distance, but you can't go to a small group without getting to know somebody. That's right. And so we have both structures in the body of Christ, not as some newfangled thing, uh, but from the very beginning, from the book of Acts, you have the vertical and you have the horizontal. We cannot say we love God and not love our brother. We can't just come enjoy worship and say that's enough. No, you need to manifest the heart of God to the world around you, to brothers and sisters. If you have loved one to another, Jesus said, then all men will know that you are my disciples. And so we want you as a a part of our church to get involved in small groups, not as a duty, not as some obligation, uh, not simply so you can win friends and influence people. No, that's not the point. The point is, is we cannot complete the redemptive structure of the church if we only have a love God function or we only have a love people function. You have to have both because they fit together. So immediately after the service today, uh, check out the small group expo right across the parking lot. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get started. My title today is Freedom. I am going to talk about it as a theme and I'm going to introduce our freedom ministry that will be starting on the 22nd. 
It will be happening concurrently with First Steps after our services. And it is a class to help people overcome their yesterdays and experience true freedom in Jesus Christ. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. One of the great ideas of the Bible is this idea of spiritual deliverance. Uh, In fact, in many ways, deliverance is what... What it means to be a child of God. I, I want to show this to you today in the scripture. If you want to follow along with my notes, you can go to our website, firstchurchclt.com. Click pastor's notes and you'll have the exact notes I'm preaching from. And you can add your own notes and email it to yourself. Uh, let, me, let me remind you of what I said just a moment ago before I gave you the notes plug and that's simply this we cannot understand a doctrine of God we cannot understand a theology of grace we can't even understand a hope to come without understanding divine deliverance come on let's don't go further until we agree on this Jesus introduced his ministry by reading a very particular passage from the book of Isaiah. And the listeners who were there that day in the synagogue, they knew Jesus by reading that passage was referring to the Messiah. They knew it. It was quite a surprise in their, you know, regular Saturday of uh, remembrance at their synagogue and Saturday of, of learning at their synagogue. He... Uh, basically read the passage that would speak of the Messiah to come and he read it first person. So the story is told in Luke chapter number 4 verse number 17. Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written. Quote, he's reading from the book of Isaiah. See this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then... Luke tells us, he closed the book, he gave it to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue, were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. There's a lot of uh, depth and spiritual understanding in this story. Uh, the Probably the, the most obvious one is the announcement of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He is moving into a public role of spiritual ministry. The second thing is where he closed the book because the next phrase in Isaiah is a phrase about judgment, a a day of judgment to come. But Jesus did not read the part about judgment. He stopped reading when he said, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. If you read that in another translation, you'll find it it says that it's God's time to act now. (laughs) Now is the time and he closes the book. He does not keep reading. You want to know why? Because Jesus has not come to give judgment to the world. He has come to give mercy and grace to the world. The church is a celebration of the grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, don't, 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 
don't set aside judgment. Judgment will come. But that is not today. While it is day, the church is here to manifest the victory of Jesus Christ. And there is mercy for you. Can I have a big amen from saved people? There is grace for you. I want you to see the uniqueness of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Truly, he changes everything. I want to show that to you here. He gives a list of six things before he closes the book. The first thing he says he's going to do, number one, he's going to preach. And that's going to be good news to the poor. The second thing he's going to do is healing for the brokenhearted. The third thing, deliverance to the captives. The fourth thing, healing the recovery of sight to the blind. The fifth thing, deliverance, liberty to the oppressed. And the sixth thing, he's back to preaching, proclaim the acceptable year of the, of the Lord. So three things are mentioned. Stay with me here. Three things are mentioned, but in the manner of preachers, preachers everywhere, uh, we tend to repeat ourselves. So Jesus, quoting Isaiah, tells us three things, but he's going to repeat each one of them twice. So what are the three things? Preaching is mentioned twice. Healing is mentioned twice. And deliverance is mentioned twice. Do you see what has happened here? Jesus is announcing his ministry. He is stopping before the writer says judgment because judgment has been postponed through the perfect Lamb of God. He has become our sacrifice. Can I get a big amen in this house, church? He has become our mercy, our hope. And three things are happening that signify the ministry of Jesus Christ. You want to know who Jesus is to us? Do you want to know who Jesus should be to you? This is the first thing. He is your good news. And as a people, we are called to proclaim, a.k.a. preach, the good news of this. You have a hope with God. Through Jesus Christ, you have access. Access to the eternal relational God. Jesus is our good news. Now you may not be as excited about that as I am. But I'm here to tell you Jesus changed everything. And he is our good news. The second thing is Jesus is our healing. I don't mean just physical, although I'm very thankful for physical healing. If you've ever been sick in your body, if you've ever been facing a, a bad diagnosis from a doctor, you know how important, heal, how important healing is in your life. And although uh, physical healing is very, very important, and I want to speak to anyone here today who is sick in your body, as a church, we want to believe with you. You. We want to join our faith to your faith that God will intervene not simply for the relief of suffering. The world is full of suffering. That's not a good enough reason. Here's the reason to manifest the heart of God here on earth through your need. Now that is the expression of the kingdom of God here on earth. And as a church, we want to believe with you. Can I have an amen? Where's all my people who have been healed by the powerful name of Jesus? Do I have anybody who has a testimony here today of healing? Oh, I wish I had some people in the back who had a, a testimony of healing in their life. Has God healed anybody in this church house? Jesus is our good news. And Jesus is our healer. The most important healing in your life will not be physical. 
The most important healing in your life will be your emotional, your mental, and yes, your spiritual needs where you are living as a walking wounded person. The truth is most of us learn how to cope and we learn how to survive, but we're not always good at finding life and life more abundantly. So many people are using Christianity as a coping mechanism, not a path to life and life more abundantly. It is not the Lord's gift to you to simply survive. It's something greater than that. It's not his will that you just make it another day. That is Christianity as coping. No, he wants to speak healing into the broken places. Oh my goodness. I might have to preach here before this day is over. I said, God wants to speak healing into the broken places of your life. He wants to give you a right mind instead of the anxiety and the fear and the terror that you've been living with. God wants to give you peace and love and joy in the Holy Ghost. You have to understand, Jesus is our good news. He's the reason we have hope today. Our way is a man who was God. Jesus is our way. Our truth is a man who was God. Jesus is our truth. And uh, Jesus is the hope we have for life. And he is the way and the truth and the life. He is our good news. And he has come that he might bring healing to to the people in their brokenness and in their sin. And the last thing that is mentioned twice is deliverance. The Lord is in the business of setting the captive free. So let me say it this way and I want you to get this. This is very, very important. You cannot understand the ministry of Jesus Christ without understanding the announcement of good news. In other words, Jesus has changed everything. You have to understand Jesus is a, a healer. He will heal from all illness, sickness, disease, spiritual, mental, psychological, relational. He is our healer. And finally, he is our rescuer. Are you bound? Are you held? Are you entrapped? He is come to set you free. That is why at the announcement of his ministry, he talks about preaching twice. And he talks about healing twice. And he talks about deliverance twice. He is our hope. We have to see him and celebrate him as our deliverer. That is why we have committed as a pastoral team, as a a ministry collective, where we apply our prayers, we apply our heart to enrich this church spiritually. We are in the business of building. We are in the business of maturing. We are in the business of equipping you for the purpose and the difference you can make in your world. And We understand deeply how deliverance and spiritual freedom is key to your fruitfulness. It's not enough for a steward to be faithful. Yes, there is one verse that says that. It's required of a steward to be found faithful. But read everything the Bible has to say about stewards. And God's interested in you being fruitful. 
Faithfulness is great, but he wants you to be fruitful. In fact, he is looking at our lives and he prunes back the things in our life that aren't helping us. That we might be fruitful. Can I have a big amen? Amen. And so he's looking for fruitfulness. If you are not living in fruitfulness, it's probably because you have something in your past that is serving as a spiritual blockage, a spiritual dam that is stopping the flow of what God would like to do through you. You need healing. You need deliverance. I said you need healing and you need deliverance. You must understand the ministry of Jesus Christ in this. The good news is Jesus will deliver you and Jesus will heal you. Psalms 91 verse number 4. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God and Him I will trust. Surely, I said surely, I said surely, He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings wings you shall take refuge. He is my rescuer. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Psalms 40 and 17. I love it. For I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. I am poor and I am needy. We're all pitiful, aren't we? We are poor and we are needy. But the Lord is thinking about you and he has promised to be your help and your deliverer. Oh my goodness, I'm more excited about that than you are. (laughs) Through the whole of scripture, I want you to see that deliverance is a spiritual beginning in your life. Deliverance is the moment in which God does what you cannot do. And that is take you out of Egypt. From Genesis to Revelation, this image of deliverance is repeated as a theme of the progress a believer makes in God and in faith. Wherever you are, you are in progress and you are in process. Wherever you are, you have a past that is behind you and you have the promises of God ahead of you. And that is why it's always the correct thing for us to say, there are greater things yet to come in my life. The half has not been told. I can't even imagine what God's going to do. Why? Because we've survived our past and the promise is in our future. Somebody say it with me. My promise is in the future. You have received some, but you have not received all. Your promised land is in your future. This idea of deliverance is a theme over and over. You can go all the way to the book of Revelations. And deliverance is still a theme of spiritual celebration. For example, the writer will say, These are they who have come out from great tribulation. What are you talking about? Deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. Our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I'm here today to show you it is God's will for you to know freedom. If you go to the beginning of the 
spiritual example that will be lived out by the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to take you to the Exodus. You will see God makes four promises to the house of Israel. Four promises. Each one of these promises are going to be repeated all through the scripture. In fact, I believe there are over 30 places where some version of these four fulfillments are shown in scripture uh, to the people who, to whom the scripture is written and given. The first promise is this, and this of course is told in Exodus chapter number 6. It is in your notes if you are following verse number 6. We'll start at verse number 6 and we'll go through chapter 7 and verse number 6, but we'll just skip between the promises. The first promise, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Somebody say deliverance. Deliverance. God will bring you out of Egypt. The second promise is I will free you from being slaves to them. This seems like the same thing, but I'm going to explain it and hopefully uh, impart understanding on this subject. So I first promise I will bring you out of Egypt. Second promise, I will free you from slavery. Third promise, I will redeem you. Redemption is when something that has been perverted is redeemed to its original purpose. Yes. You have a purpose in God. Amen. Elbow your neighbor and say you have a purpose in God. You need to be restored to your purpose. Your redeem your excuse me, your your employer should not get the best of you. God should get the best of you. Your career should not get the best of your talents. God should get the best of your talents. Uh, the third, the fourth thing. So we are uh, out for, we're freed from uh, Egypt. Secondly, or we're removed from Egypt. Secondly, we're freed from being slaves. Thirdly, redeemed to our original purpose. And number four, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, when the Israelites and uh, even in the modern times, Jews, observant Jews, when they remember the Passover, they do this every year. They have a very formal sacramental way of remembering these four promises. The whole of the Passover is revolving around these four promises and they will do it with four cups of remembrance. This is the exact thing Jesus was doing. At the Last Supper, he was following the Seder, as you would call it in, 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 in ter- terminology. Um, they, they are remembering the Passover, and so they will drink four cups together, and they will remember each promise with the cup. So the first cup is the cup of salvation. So they read the passage that we read, I will take you out of Egypt. I will bring you out of Egypt. And this is the cup of salvation and they drink of this this cup of salvation. And then they read the second promise, I will deliver you from Egyptian slavery. And they drink the second cup of promise. Let me very quickly explain something that is happening, not just the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt. This is happening even in our lives. 
When you come to God, the first thing you have to do is you have to commit your heart toward God. You have to turn away from this world as a source of solutions to your need. You cannot live with the answers that the world gives and be a part of the kingdom of heaven. You cannot believe the lies of the world. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Money will make you happy. That is a lie of the world. And when you believe that, you become a child of that lie. If I was famous, then my life would have meaning. That is a lie. You cannot live by those lies and be a part of the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, it is different. You turn your heart toward God and you say, my only meaning can be found in you. The things of this world are never going to make me happy. I said the things of this world are never going to make me happy. I have a career, but that's not where fulfillment comes from. I need money, but I'm not going to worship money. My meaning is found in the presence of God. Come on, First Church. To believe otherwise is to be a child of the lie. And so you turn your heart toward God. Now everything that happens, this is the beginning of of repentance. You turn your heart toward God. And this is why belief is worded so strongly in the Bible. This is why if you believe, you'll be saved. All these, these words. The point is not that that is all for you. The point is that is what you do. And everything that happens after that is a sign and a celebration of what God has done. Oh, I'm about to mess with, I'm about about to blow this place up here in just a minute. You turn your heart toward God. You repent of your sins. What happens at baptism? Baptism is a sign not of your victory, but of his victory. And when you go down, it's not your victory that washes away sins. It is, come on church, it is his victory. When you are filled with the Spirit, It is a sign, somebody say a sign, not of your accomplishment, but of him taking up residence in the temple of your life. That's why the apostle writers and the epistle writers are so strong about having confidence that if you'll turn your heart toward God, you will find your way. It's not that that is the end. It is that is the beginning. And he who started a good work in you is able to finish that which he started. We come to God. We turn our hearts to God. We're not looking to this world for solutions. And he begins to heal us. Somebody say healing. He begins to heal us. And he sets us free. This first cup is salvation. The second cup is deliverance. The third cup signifying this promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. This is the cup of redemption. You're going to be restored to your original purpose and the fourth cup is the cup of adoption I will he says acquire you as my people now in the house of Israel they call this fourth cup the cup of praise the cup of praise now you want to know why they call it the cup of praise is because after four cups of wine you're ready to have church You are ready to praise God. (laughs) And so this is how the Jews celebrate 
the Passover. But at this moment of adoption, the reason why it's praise is because in the Bible, when you see the word his presence or something like that, it's literally his face. That's what the Bible is saying. It's literally his face, his presence. It's as though his face is there. For the first time, you are face to face with God and now adopted, redeemed, forgiven, saved, delivered, sanctified. You are face to face with God and now you can fill the whole earth with his glory. I want you to see this. And so as a church, we have uh, five purposes. I want to uh, review them so you will remember this is as old as, as the Bible is. Five purposes of the church. Number one is worship. Number two is ministry. Number three is evangelism. Number four is discipleship. And number five is fellowship. Four of them are functions of the church. The fifth, or depending on your count, the most important is worship. Worship is what we do in every function of the church. When the end has come and we are taken up into glory to be forever with the Lord, that will be a nonstop worship service. We will be face to face with him. Until then, we have to evangelize. Until then, uh, we have to love one another. It'll be easy then. Right now it may be hard, but we must fulfill the work of the church in order to fill the world with worship. And so I want you to see that the Lord is going to bring about in our life a, a spiritual accomplishment that is going to happen through process. The first thing God's going to do, the first cup of salvation... God is going to get you out of Egypt. You are in a place of uh, oppression. You are in a reality of spiritual bondage and imprisonment. What is imprisoning you? Sin. Sin is the bondage that is oppressing you. God is going to get you out of Egypt. That is deliverance. But deliverance and freedom are not quite the same thing in a spiritual a spiritual context. What do I mean by the difference? Well, if God getting you out of Egypt is deliverance, then God getting Egypt out of you is freedom. This is transformation of heart. Hear me, church. I want you to get this. This is transformation of of heart. This is a change of your values. This is the moment you decide to pursue a different kingdom. All right. You decide to organize the principles of your life on different values. If this does not happen, you will never discover spiritual freedom. Your Christianity will be a coping mechanism. And unfortunately, I have seen too many people use faith and prayer and the Bible as a coping mechanism. And they are not living in spiritual fruitfulness because although God has gotten them out of Egypt, God has not gotten Egypt out of them. You can get out of Egypt very quickly. The Lord can remove you from Egypt quickly. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. Oh, you're not going to like this part. I'm warning you right now. 
You're gonna, not going to like this part. God needs to do more than get you out of Egypt. He needs to get Egypt out of you. This is transformation of heart. This is transformation of character. This is reordering of values, calling, spiritual purpose. You, each of you, are God's plan to make a difference. How are you going to do that? You're just going to get back to your original purpose. And you're going to stop valuing yourself by the standards of the world. And you're going to stop feeling like you have value if the world says you have value. And that transformation is going to produce tremendous boldness in your life. And you're going to be freed to love. And you're going to be freed to teach. And you're going to be freed to preach. And you're going to be freed to pray because you no longer are under the oppressive negativity and spiritual death of this world. You have had life breathed into you and you're no longer the prisoner of this world's values. This is freedom. This doesn't happen overnight. You need to deal with your yesterdays. And until your yesterdays are healed and you are delivered, you're not going to know abundant life. You're not going to live in blessing. Do you want to know how you live in blessing? Your heart is replaced by God's heart. Come on. Now that's abundance. That is what it means to live in kingdom abundance. You are rich in the kingdom of God. So how does this process happen in our life? A fair warning, you're not going to like this part at all. You're going to be so mad at me. You're going to start throwing shoes at me and I'm going to throw them right back because I don't suffer fools well. (laughs) This is the part you're not going to like. Steal yourself. How does God get Egypt out of us? He does it through spiritual wilderness. Mm-hmm. He does it through lonely places. He does it, yes, through isolation. God's preeminent goal in your life is to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Because if you can forget about you and start reflecting Him, you will turn your world upside down. Come on. You see, you don't have to know how to do it. Let me give you a hint. Nobody knows how to do it. You just have to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then it's a natural process of turning the world upside down. How does this happen? Yes, isolation. Every time you see spiritual... You're mad at me, I know. I'm mad at me too. Every time you see spiritual isolation, it is spiritual wilderness. And someone is being changed into a useful vessel in the hand of God. You'll see suffering in the wilderness. You'll see lonely places in the wilderness. And yes, you will see fear in the wilderness. But let me tell you what else you will see in your wilderness. You will see the presence of God in your wilderness. Is anybody going to preach with me here today? You will see the presence of God in your wilderness. He will be a pillar of cloud by day. And he will be a flame by night. A pillar of fire by night. He'll be a leading of mist in the heat of the day. To protect you from the killing sun. And he will be a light of illumination and warmth in your night. You may be suffering. But he is your deliverer. 
You may be hurting, but he is your healer. And he is transforming you. My God, I wish I could preach. He is transforming you into his image. God gets them out of Egypt pretty quickly, but it takes a good little while to get Egypt out of them. Deliverance can happen in a moment, but freedom takes some time. Let me say it this way. Maybe this will help with clarity. Your problem isn't your sin. It's your desire to sin. Your problem isn't your sin. There's an antidote for sin. Your problem... Is that you are like your father, the devil. My God, this center section was blessed by that right there. We are all of us through sin of a nature to rebel against the kingdom of God. But God's going to heal us and deliver us and adopt us. And we who are dead in trespasses and sins shall become the sons and the daughters. Oh, y'all aren't hearing me. That's okay. I'll just preach longer. The sons and the daughters of Almighty God. Has anybody been regenerated in your spirit here today? Has anyone felt the adoption, the presence of God take up residence in your life? The church that has been born again, renewed, yes, it happens daily. The church that has dealt with the sorrows of yesterday, healed from the wounds of yesterday, the transgressions of yesterday, delivered from the oppression of yesterday. That church is a church that can manifest the heart of God to a community and that is the church that turns the world upside down. Hear me today. Freedom is going to require three things out of you. It is going to require healing in your life. Now I said it's out of you but that is is somewhat misleading. It's it's not something you do so, so much as something you submit to. You have to submit to healing in your life. You have to take the pain, the sorrow, yes, your coping mechanisms, the hatred, the rage, the anger, and you have to surrender those things to God. Secondly, this freedom is going to change your focus. Do you live in the pain of yesterday or do you live in the promise of tomorrow? This freedom that we are looking for is going to require you to surrender your pain to God and believe that he will truly be your healer. It's going to require you to present your nature, your lusts, your fears, your carnality to God that he might remake you and you become a partaker of the divine nature. It's going to happen through freedom. And finally, he that the son has set free as a son has certain callings, certain anointings, certain direction, certain blessing. When you are freed, you are now given the opportunity to make a difference in your world. There are things God will do for you in Egypt that he won't do for you on the threshold of the promised land. 
God will deliver you from Egypt. And he will help you get Egypt out of your heart. But when you stand upon the threshold of the promised land, he will not claim your promise for you. Why? Because sonship comes with responsibilities. You're not a slave. Adoption has spiritual consequences. You are called. You are chosen. And you are asked to be faithful. To make a difference in your world. And if you haven't discovered freedom, you're not going to know fruitfulness. Because the fruitfulness comes through the presence of God in our life. Our musicians are coming right now. The whole point of us introducing freedom as a a ministry is is this. And I'm going to end with this because I want so much this to get in our church culture. Uh, Then we're going to go into our prayer time that we end all of our weekend services. The reason why we do that is church is not performance and church is not observance. At some point we have to have a culture of surrender. We even have to have a culture of of confidence confession and a culture of repentance. We cannot do that simply sitting back listening to someone talk to us. We have to bring our needs to God. We have to surrender our heart. Sometimes surrender our pride. Can I have a big amen? And we have to stand in a moment of confession and say, God, I don't have the answer to this. I am here for you to pour into me of your, your unction, your spirit. That's why we end all of our services with, with altar time. We're going to do that in just a moment. The point of freedom, it's a 12-week process that we go through and it happens after the 11 a.m. service the same time our first steps class is is coming we serve lunch to both it and first steps and um, it is a 12-week process where we systematically go through the Bible and we make sure that our hearts are available for spiritual healing and deliverance and we confess to the Lord sometimes one to another in appropriate circumstances that these are the areas we need healing. This is a biblical process. If you have not done that, there's no wonder that you've struggled to put your past behind you. You will not be truly effective in God's hand until you deal with your yesterdays. You can serve God for many years and not deal with your yesterdays. It just shows in your fruitfulness. Do you see what I'm saying? God wants you to be spiritually rich. He wants you to have a sense of abundant life. And we'll start dealing with concepts of how we approach God. How we, how we bring our our, our, our heart into his kingdom and into his presence. We'll talk about how in the Garden of Eden there's not just a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, there's not just a law function in the, in the Garden of Eden. There's also a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And that becomes this template whereby we can, preach, we can approach God the wrong way. We can approach God the right way. We must be a house of faith and a house of spirit. We must believe for healing and deliverance Can I have a big amen on that? This process, I will teach uh, several of the lessons. Uh, Others of our team, uh, Brother Anthony will teach some of the lessons. Uh, We'll bring in other ministry, uh, other pastoral uh, team members as we go through the process. Uh, This is part of First Church Growth Track. In other words, I'm interested in church. Um, I'm wanting to come back to God perhaps or I'm wanting to begin a relationship with God. Where do I start? The first thing we would do is join with us in the vertical. That is Sunday. That is 
the vertical worship. Sunday is the perfect place for us to worship God. You have to have that connection. You have to have a sense of his presence. Join with us in the horizontal. This is the second New Testament church structure. We're house to house. This is the small group function. And in these two structures, all five purposes of the church are fulfilled. When we come together, all five purposes are fulfilled. When we meet house to house, all five purposes are fulfilled. We have the vertical, we have the horizontal. Go through first steps. This is an introduction to our ministry team. This is an introduction to first church style and culture. It's a ask me anything time. We explain uh, why we baptize the way we do. I am pretty much going to just tell you straight up, I love baptizing people and I would like to baptize you. (laughs) And we talk about what it means to be a spirit-filled church. We want you to be able to enjoy that and relax in a spirit-filled environment. But the truth is, until you have been taken out of Egypt, which is easy, and until you've had Egypt taken out of you, which is not so easy, you are not ready to step into the fruitfulness of being uh, the hands and the feet of God in the earth. So the growth track, getting involved, uh, getting finding a place of friendship and volunteering, going through first steps, going through freedom. Now, let me tell you what we're going to do during freedom. It's not just knowledge. We're going to pray every freedom class every freedom class we will be praying over everyone in the class you will have the name of Jesus spoken over your circumstances in a spiritual manner it's not just head knowledge these will be spiritual classes but if you have unresolved pains that have set in your life like some raven of cursing to you be poetic positively poetic about it has just been a dark shadow in your life. You need to discover freedom. And this church is all about seeing you not just have coping Christianity, but to have life abundantly. This house wants to put a bounce in your step. Come on, somebody. This house wants to put a little bit of, ooh, starting to feel good in the presence of God. This house wants to be the place where you get in your car on Monday morning after a house of worship and you turn up the Christian music of your choice as loud as you can and you say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. You are not just going to make it. You are more than a conqueror. You are mm, has anybody made it through some troubles and then found victory on the other side of those troubles? You are not just a survivor. You are more than a conqueror. Yes, you were hurt at a vulnerable time. Yes, you were. Yes, you were damaged by somebody who was supposed to nurture you and care for you. And you've been walking wounded ever since. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. But in this house of of worship, in this house, yesterdays are going to be healed. Yes, a parent who should have protected you, didn't protect you, and you've spent the rest of your life surviving and coping. God has more for you than just survival and coping in this house. He is your healer and he is your deliverer. Some of you weren't just wounded in the world. 
Some of you were wounded in a church. And every time you've got to a point of overcoming victory, the enemy throws in your face what happened to you by someone who should have been on your team. Something someone did that so humiliated you. You have walked with a limp ever since. And because it happened in the house of bread, you think you should cope with it because it happened in the church. God surely couldn't have been in it if it happened in the church. I'll just cope with it. And you've done good. You've toughed it out. You've kept coming. You haven't given up. And here you are, a coping Christian. But I'm here to tell you, in this house, there is hope. You're not just going to make it. You are more than a conqueror. There is freedom for you in this house. Let's all stand across this place. If I'm preaching to you today and you feel in your own heart the need for deliverance and healing, as every head is bowed, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment in the presence of God. This is a moment of confession for you. This is a moment of vulnerability for you. I want you right where you are to lift your hands in the presence of God and say, Lord, I give you access to my life. I give you access to my heart. I surrender all my plans and all my solutions, all my coping mechanisms. I lay them down and I ask for divine healing, divine deliverance to work in my life. In Jesus' name, move among your people. Help them to be transformed, not just make it another day, but be transformed into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.